It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome in, Late Kick is live. It is Thursday night, July 28th, year of our Lord, 2022. There are new rooms being added on to both houses, but no one knows who's moving in yet. Isn't college football fun this time of year? We're jam-packed. We are high atop an eventful downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Everything that could be in town tonight and this weekend is in town tonight and this weekend. The Big Ten and the SEC, they're not exactly in town, but they are on the tip of everyone's tongue. I just want to ask, and we will talk about it together in a second, who's on the same page? We heard some things that they have in common. We heard some things that sound polar opposite in terms of messaging over the past couple of weeks. So we're going to discuss that. Basically, is the rest of the sport going to survive? That's all you really want to know. I will share my biggest sleeper teams. I will share my toughest schedules tonight. Bold Predictions hits Chapter 27 this evening. Also, Big Ten Media Days. Got some thoughts on that event. And I need to have a direct Uh, dare I even say, frank conversation with our LSU brethren. And I want the rest of you to participate because we love our LSU brethren, or at least we respect and appreciate our LSU brethren. I can speak for every one of you when I say that. Hayesville, North Carolina tuned in. Prescott, Arizona tuned in. We have two honeymooners in the Dominican Republic tuned in. Both lovers of the brand and of the show, so no big deal there. And Sunset, Louisiana is tuned in. Hey, I got a question for you. It's rhetorical, and we're just going to enter the show. What makes college football great? And if you can't answer that question to our liking, do you have any business making decisions about the future of the sport? Just something to think on. Let's dive into the show. Oh, by the way, if you're watching live right now, the Late Kick store is open. I have not told anyone. It is not public knowledge. The only folks who know that right now are the folks watching the live show. The reward. There you go for watching the live show. Let's dive in tonight. SEC versus Big Ten. It's, uh, it's must-see on the hardwood sometimes. It is often a really, really good matchup in bowl games. But lately, it's been about conference realignment, and it's been about conference expansion, and who's going to do what, who's going to grab up who, and we've been talking about that a lot. Everyone has. It's interesting times, though. Some people will call them exciting. Some people will call them nerve-wracking. Some people will call them troubling. I call them everything, and then some. But lately, what have we had? We've had media days, and everyone's been focused on what Greg Sankey's going to say at the podium in Atlanta, or what Kevin Warren most recently said at the podium in Indianapolis, and what the fear for everyone pretty much outside of the Big Ten and the SEC has been and continues to be is that those, those two brands, and that's what we need to call them now, not conferences, but brands, it's the buzzword these days, as you'll soon find out, Those two brands are going to do irreparable damage and harm to the overall landscape of college football. If I'm a Utah fan, if I'm a Virginia fan, they are going to do something to the sport that makes it unrecognizable. And I and my team, we can no longer even pretend to live in the same world as they do. That is a valid concern. I share your concerns. Uh, Pate State has nothing to worry about. We are one of the haves, as Nick Saban would say, yet I still share your concerns. So we rewind to a couple of weeks ago. We were down in Atlanta, I guess last week, for SEC Media Days, and all eyes were on Greg Sankey on that Monday, and he stepped up to the podium there, and what I thought he was going to say was pretty much what we got from him. Remember, one of the big points of debate in the South, and really nationally in college football recently, has been that man, if you're watching on YouTube, Greg Sankey, 
is he really comfortable with them just adding OU in Texas and then stopping at 16? Or does he want to gobble up as much property, for lack of a better term, as he can and create a college football super conference? Now, I have not necessarily bought into that. I could be wrong. Some of you could be right. Some of you had bought into that. But when Sankey stepped up, I'm going to read us some quotes here. When Sankey was speaking, here's what he said. He said, quote, there's no urgency. There's no sense of urgency in our league. There's no panic in reaction to others' decisions. We know who we are. We're confident in our success. We're really looking forward to the expansion to 16. And I don't feel pressure to operate at a number. We'll watch what happens around us and be thoughtful but be nimble. Here's how that translated. I don't have any interest in moving beyond 16 right now. However, we are not going to be so ignorant as to say we're done because we do need to accept the fact that someone else could make a move and then we need to counter. But he, he pulled the classic, hey, ball's in their court at the moment. We're not moving anymore unless we have to, which I was fine with. That's what I expected to hear from him. And I think given the current set of circumstances, since you can't hit the rewind button, that, if he's being honest, and I think he was, was the best you could have hoped for, right? Then the next thing that you would have hoped for is to fast forward to this week, and you would have hoped, if you want some semblance of normalcy to remain in the sport, that you would have heard the same sentiment echoed from Kevin Warren at Big Ten Media Days, right? We want to hear him say, hey, the SEC is standing still. We're going to stand still. We're good at 16. We'll, um, you know, we'll, we'll plug it for now, and whatever's left over... True enough, we have raided the sport. Whatever's left over, though, it's going to be left over and all's well that ends well. We'll have two super conferences, but it won't be so much that everyone just has to fade in the dust. It's not exactly what Kevin Warren said, and this is pretty much what I expected to hear from him this week. We begin from Kevin Warren, Big Ten Commissioner. Where does expansion go? I don't know. There are two types of people in this world. They look at change as a problem or they look at change as an opportunity. I'm one of those individuals that when change occurs, I get excited about it. But, all right, we continue. In and of itself, that's not a bad way to live. <sighs> you, you know what? I, this is me talking right now, so let me shut up. I'm gonna continue with the Kevin Warren quote. This is where it just, it's gonna throw you for a loop. You're gonna love this one. Quote, I don't think you can close the door on future expansion from a strategy standpoint, this is not the old college athletics. For the individuals and the conferences and schools that are not thinking that way, they're going to be Sears and Roebuck. Yes, kids, Sears and Roebuck. The giant that filed for bankruptcy. I've got the parentheses in my quote here. That's straight. That's blunt. That's where this deal is going. We have about three or four more years of perpetual disruption during that period. Either you're going to embrace change and build a business and get stronger or not. I feel so gross when I, when I read that. I've read it like five times today. I just feel like I need to take a shower. Nothing about that sounds like college athletics. Now, to his credit, Kevin Warren is telling you, hey, this is not the old college athletics. And that's true. Uh, what I said earlier this week remains. This is not something specifically targeted at Kevin Warren, uh, but rather a lot of the change agents in our sport. Have you guys noticed, like I have, that a lot of the people who are looking at you and saying, hey, this isn't the old college athletics anymore, are like 99% responsible for it not being the old college athletics anymore. It would be one thing if these were innocent bystanders and they were just calling it as they see it. You know, if a meteorite is headed towards Earth, I don't have anything to do with it. So if I say that thing's going to land in New Hampshire, whether you like it or not, I'm just, I'm just dealing the cold, brutal, honest truth to you. You can accept it or leave it. That's one thing. But, you know, if, if I am telling you 
my truck's about to run you over and I'm behind the driver's seat, that's an entirely different thing because I control whether the truck runs you over, unless it's a Stephen King movie. And that's kind of how I feel about this. I got a lot of people from the conference executive level to the television executive level telling me, Josh, settle down, simpleton. This is the way of the world now. This is the way college athletics are going. I know that. You're pulling the rope out of my hands. I get where it's going. I don't like it. And you are the reason why it's headed that way. Uh, but I, I can speak personally all night. And believe me, I would like to. But in the interest of getting our staff home in time, I wanted to ask you a question. Going back to the old Sears and Roebuck analogy. You know how sometimes on Late Kick, I use the phrase bumper sticker logic? Bumper sticker logic, of course, being something, it's kind of fortune cookie logic, too. It's stuff that's supposed to pass the smell test. It, you just hear it, and then you're supposed to move on. You are not supposed to dissect it at any depth because it does not stand up to dissection at any depth. Nor does this. The Big Ten's not going to be Sears and Roebuck. There is no scenario on planet Earth from this point moving forward where the Big Ten could be Sears and Roebuck. In fact, I workshopped this earlier today. I asked a few people. And even in our building, I asked producer Jesse, most recently made famous for modeling one of our late kick shirts. I asked some people today, if I were a mole inside the Big Ten office and I had executive control and I actively wanted to sabotage the conference from this point moving forward, what kind of decisions would I make that could turn the Big Ten into Sears and Roebuck? This is a conference on the precipice of signing a multi-billion dollar media rights deal. They have just acquired two of the most valuable properties on the West Coast to go along with already some of the most valuable properties, not just in football, but in all of college athletics, period, in the world, well, in the world of college athletics. What risk are we running here? You see, Sears and Roebuck, there's, a, there's an entire dissertation that could be done on the rise and fall of Sears Roebuck, but the bottom line is multiple new players and multiple new technologies came in the game, and when they didn't necessarily adapt or they lost their way, there were several other big giant names out there to gobble up that business. Who else is out there to gobble up the business? You're talking about two major players. And for the foreseeable future, I mean decades and decades into the future, you've got two major players at the table. One of them's the SEC, and they've already signed their next media rights deal. And you've got the Big Ten. There is no amount of incompetence, much less just maybe ceding something to the other side that would land the Big Ten in Sears and Roebuck territory. But I guarantee you, someone told Kevin Warren it would sound good, or maybe Kevin Warren thought it would sound good, and therefore he said it. And a lot of people ran with it. I saw that quote echoed across many a front page and many a website and many a talk show over the last 24 hours. The bottom line is, there is nothing from this point moving forward that would happen negatively to the Big Ten if they just chose to stop. If they chose to keep it at 16 and the SEC chose to keep it at 16 and you still allowed some version of the ACC or some version of the Big Ten or the Pac-12 to exist and therefore, you know, some landscape that loosely resembles what we used to have in college football to exist, there's nothing bad that happens to you because of that. But a lot of folks wanted those, those market principles in play and here come those market principles. So, you know as many times as I can fit Jurassic Park quotes into this show, I do. And this is perfect Ian Malcolm territory. This is, this is him sitting at the table when he's first having it described that we found fossilized mosquitoes 
and we drilled into them and we extracted dinosaur DNA and then we did a ABC, you know, some weird things with frogs and eggs and voila, we got dinosaurs and he's supposed to be impressed by it. And what did he say? When he had the entire process laid out in front of him, just like when I have this entire process of the Big Ten expanding and having games in four time zones in the same day, what do I say? I say, you seem so preoccupied with whether you could that you never stop to think whether you should. And since we're in the business of metaphors tonight and always, I look at this great big mansion that a couple of conferences are building in town. SEC, it looks insane. Big Ten, it looks insane. Look at the town around you. Do you see it? Do you see what's happening to it? Do you see, therefore, what could happen in the future to your property values? Not overnight. Your, your, your value does not go anywhere overnight. In fact, you, you probably peaked. You're maximizing your value right now. The Big Ten will never be worth more. The SEC will never be worth more. What is college football worth? And then here's the great unanswerable question. I can't answer this for Kevin Warren. I can't answer this for Greg Sankey. I can't answer this for ESPN, CBS, or Fox. Some folks have to make grown-up adult decisions in a room, but they got to look in the mirror and they got to ask themselves, do we owe anything to college football? Do we owe anything? I'm not saying you have to first and foremost worship at the altar of college football. I know you wear that Big Ten lapel or that SEC lapel for a reason. You're accountable and responsible to your member institutions. I get all that. Is there a healthy balance? And I still believe, I got a really, really big heart on this, and I still believe somewhere deep down in that heart of hearts, those guys know, yeah, we do have a responsibility. I just think that there are several more voices in the room than there used to be, and we don't always hear all those voices. You hear Sankey. You hear Kevin Warren. You don't always hear every special interest they have to be accountable to and I know that that can cloud the decision a whole lot more than just what a 10 or 15 minute segment on this show makes it sound like. But I want to circle back to the question I asked you, because this is as simple as it is for me at the beginning of the show tonight. And this is kind of the fundamental problem a lot of us have. I asked you guys when we came on the air, what makes college football great? What makes college football great? If you're watching this show, you probably answer that question just like that. The bad thing right now is that we got a lot of folks making decisions about the future of this sport who could not immediately answer that question and they could never adequately provide you an answer that you would accept because it's not great to them. It's property to them. I know it sounds like the plot line of Pocahontas, but it's kind of hitting us in real life terms in college football and it's not fun. It's not fun to think about. It's not fun to think about people who could really take it or leave it and couldn't tell you the mascots for half of these teams in the country, but they do see dollar signs. They understand the P&L side of it. And that's not necessarily what any of us would answer when we ask each other what makes college football great. But that's where we are. So I guess we have to hope for the best at the moment. Uh, you know, I, I, wanted to, I didn't want to end in such a bleak note, but it's kind of the way it is at the moment. Uh, we'll see. Hey, look, the Big Ten has not gone beyond 16. The SEC has not gone beyond 16. So, you know, that language could be preemptive. And that language, for instance, that we heard from Kevin Warren this week, it could just be that. It could be language. They could very well remain at 16. And, you know, maybe five years down the road, we're looking around and saying, you know, it could have turned out a lot worse than it actually turned out. That's, that's why I'm talking with fingers crossed here. That's why. There's a big thing happening down on the Gulf Coast. Today, actually, this weekend, happening Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Let me straighten this microphone, deal with the static for just a second. So 
I was talking to our friends at Academy Sports and Outdoors, and they said, hey, uh, let's just forego the normal ad read you do. We got a big thing that we need you to talk about. And I said, what's going on, Alex? Alex, yeah, there you go. That's one of our Academy reps' names. And he said, got a grand opening. What can you do? And I said, well, I can do everything I possibly can. So Panama City. We actually have some of our folks watching from Panama City Beach tonight. Panama City. In fact, 820 West 23rd Street in Panama City. Academy. A brand new one. You have asked for it on the Gulf Coast for a while. You got yourself your very own Academy Sports and Outdoors. You don't have to use the website anymore. 820 West 23rd Street right there in Panama City. Now, why am I shouting out that address so much? Well, I'm going to tell you why. Because starting right now, 7.16 p.m. Central Time on this Thursday night, I am going to give you guys the weekend. And then I'm going to sift through in my DMs or my email inbox everybody who can prove to me that they went to that Panama City Academy location over the weekend. It can be a receipt. It could be a picture. Whatever the case may be. I would prefer receipts for obvious reasons. I'm picking out about three or four of you and you're getting free stuff out of the late kick store. And we got some really, really hot sellers right now. Some of them are sold out, but I got access to them. And you will too. At least three or four of you will. So 820 West 23rd Street, our partners at Academy Sports and Outdoors make the show free, make the show possible to remain free. And they got a brand spanking new store open down there. So look, you go there and five minutes later, you're at the beach. What more could you ask for this weekend? And probably getting some free stuff if you prove to me that you were there. So Academy Sports and Outdoors, hey, nationwide, but specifically our friends down at Panama City this weekend, you got it. You asked for it. You got it. Bold Predictions, Chapter 27. Colin, I know you were switching, so let me say it again. Bold Predictions, Chapter 27. What do you believe so much that you would bet your own money on? Well, we're on Chapter 27, so obviously a lot, but let's dive in tonight. And the first one it takes us to some familiar foes, even though they rarely play each other. Dustin says the USC offense will finish the season 30 spots higher in points per game than Oklahoma. So yeah, a bunch of you probably don't have this scale memorized in your head. Oklahoma, under Lincoln Riley, was never worse than eighth in the country in points per game. So they were always up there. Now, uh, by comparison, his, his new place of business, USC, was 65th in points per game last year. So there's some work to do there. So I'm going to tell you what I'm going to assume with all the transfer moves. I'm just going to assume Lincoln Riley has a top 15, maybe even a top 10 points per game offense this year. Let's go top 12. Why not? So top 12 points per game offense. Now at Oklahoma, Jeff Levy, new offensive coordinator there. Last two years at Ole Miss, 14th and 24th in points per game. We could reasonably expect that they'll dial it back a little bit in terms of tempo. We could reasonably expect a little more ground and pound and maybe not so much through the air, but is it going to be 30 spots worse? That's where producer Jesse and I disagreed. He gave me my stat pack today, and in that stat pack is included producer Jesse's own 1 to 10 boldness scale on these sorts of things. And um, I differed with him. I say this is a 6, and it's a 6. Here's what I have to take into account. I have to take into account injury, even though you don't predict it and you never hope for it. But if Oklahoma, if Dylan Gabriel misses any time at quarterback, I'm not necessarily crazy about what they have there. And even if he doesn't miss time, you got a lot of adjustment. You've got a lot of replacement, a lot of churn that has to happen offensively at Oklahoma. You probably have a little bit different style there, although Jeff Levy is a pretty dependable commodity at this point. Uh, I don't doubt as much the points they're going to put up at USC. Now, whether they stop folks frequently enough, that's a whole nother topic. 
but I, I think this has a reasonable chance of happening. I'm going to call it a six on the boldness scale and no more. I think that's something that could come to fruition. Next up, this is not fun to talk about, but we have to talk about it. Kenneth said, Scott Frost, Nebraska head coach, he will not make it to the end of the season. I put an eight on this because obviously this is the disaster scenario for Husker fans. The preseason number I think they have set for him is bowl game. So six. I think he has to have six wins this year. The over-under is seven and a half. Even if they lose to Oklahoma, which is the, it's the week three game, but it's their fourth game of the year. Even if they lose to Oklahoma, if they start out 3-0 and and then lose that game, they're 3-1. and Here's what comes after the Oklahoma game. Indiana, at Rutgers, at Purdue, Illinois. So, there are many, many paths here where they're already to five or six wins before they even get to November. And I believe they should be there before they get to November. Now, the reason I mentioned November is because it is a tough close. They've got Minnesota at Michigan, Wisconsin at Iowa to close the season. But you could already be out of the woods. You could already be in the six or seven win club and not have to worry so much about whether we can pull upsets in November. Now, they may be flying so high that they can be competitive in November too, but if they, if they are already badly banged up record-wise before they even get out of October, then this is a possibility. I just don't think they're going to be badly enough banged up by the time they get out of October, and I think he's going to be allowed to finish the end of the season if he gets to November. So I'm saying this is an eight. I think Scott Frost, well, you know my feelings on Nebraska this year. I think they're going to be a seven-win team. So I think he'll be okay, moot point. Uh, but I definitely think even if he doesn't make it, I do think he makes it to the end of the season before something happens. And we're talking regular season there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Next up, uh, this one's kind of interesting because I did not know that this had happened so frequently. Cam said Alabama's going to win the West and the second place team will be three or more games behind them in the division standings. SEC West is cannibalism. Uh, that's from Gulf Shores, Alabama. How many times do you think this has happened under Saban, that Alabama f- won the West and they finished three or more games ahead of whoever the next closest team was? Keep in mind, they only play eight conference games. So that means you've got to be 8-0, and then second place is 5-3 and three or worse. Believe it or not, it's happened four times, most recently in 2018, uh, 2016, 09, and 08. Saban's second and third years there, they did this. And every time, they were 8-0, and the next closest team was 5-3. and three. So presumably, let's just say this happens this year, you have to have Bama go 
So they have to just run the table in conference. I would think A&M, you know, just using Vegas numbers, A&M would be the next team in line. Bama's preseason over-under win total is 11. A&M's preseason over-under win total is 8.5. So that's a 2.5 game gap. Now that's taking into account the entire schedule, not just conference games. So who knows? A&M, you know, they play Miami. They could lose there. Bama could lose to Texas, and it wouldn't impact this. But this isn't so crazy. I made it a seven and a half. It's not so crazy because think about it. If Bama's undefeated, then by default, they've already handed everyone a loss. And also, there is that very real cannibalistic scenario that was mentioned here where you've got one elite team and just a bunch of good teams. And good teams beat good teams. That's what happens. That is the nature of college football cannibalism. And so I made this one a seven and a half. It's not crazy. It's unlikely, but it's not crazy. Next up, this one, I made an eight on the boldness scale. And this one is Clemson and Oklahoma. Both miss out on the conference championship game again. Making it. They miss out on making the conference championship game. I made this an eight. Uh, Clemson is a minus 190 favorite to just make the conference title game. They're a minus 120 to win the whole conference. And they're, they're the fourth favorite to win the national championship. Now, in the Big 12, obviously, they don't have the divisional play. Oklahoma is plus 220 to win the Big 12. So the Big 12, this is not hard to see at all. The Big 12 is totally wide open. I think it is the most competitively balanced or maybe most unpredictable conference in all of college football this year. Like, I'm going to make a case later where I may convince myself Baylor wins the conference. I was texting back and forth with Trey Scott last night, and I was... I was talking myself into it yesterday on the Late Kick Extra podcast. I was talking myself into it, and we still got like a month. I'm going to end up talking myself into that probably. So the Big 12 is wide open. It's, it's not hard to envision Oklahoma not playing for the conference title. There are many paths in which the Sooners don't play for it, even though they're the favorite to get there, or one of the favorites. But in the ACC, for Clemson not to play for it again? You're talking about a, a pretty big story, one of the bigger stories in college football this year, and that's me not even knowing what happens in the rest of the country. If Dabo Swinney and Clemson aren't playing for the conference title again, think about that. That obviously means everybody's biggest fears about losing Venables and losing Tony Elliott, they have manifest themselves. It means quarterback has not been figured out for a second consecutive year. It means that you get further and further down that rabbit hole of talking about whether the game is passing Dabo Swinney by. You know this whole song and dance of if the worst were to happen. I just think Clemson's going to be there. So I don't think that we're going to be having those conversations. As a result, I made this an eight. Maybe one of them, but, but I definitely think at least one of them is going to play for a conference title. Uh, the last one here, let's go back to the Big 12 for a second. Oklahoma State finally wins the Big 12. They won it in 2011, I think, and they haven't won it since then. So the Cowboys win in the Big 12. I think in terms of odds, they're number three right now. And Baylor's number four, and they're both behind OU and Texas. They have got a surprisingly poor schedule dynamic this year. They don't have a single bye in conference play, meaning they play three out-of-conference games to start the year. They play Central Michigan, Arizona State, and Arkansas Pine Bluff, and that's where their bye comes in. And then starting in October... October 1st, that's when they go to Baylor. It's their first Big 12 game. They play an entire conference schedule back to back to back to back to back. They do not have an off week. So that is less than desirable. Their road games include at TCU, at Kansas State, 
at Oklahoma, at Baylor. The defense got gutted, including losing their defensive coordinator. And I just, I, I know what the odds say, but I, I was higher on them last year than I am this year. Spencer Sanders is back at quarterback, and he's going to get a lot of hype, and rightfully so. Right, he will win games for them this year. Winning the conference, though, is something that I think we may look back on last year and say, didn't know it at the time, but that's as close as they were going to get you know, with this current crop of players. So I'm going to call this an eight on the boldness scale. Oklahoma State, solid team. I just not quite feeling them as much this year as I was, especially down the stretch last year. All right, let's roll on here. You know, Jesse, Colin, pat ourselves on the back. For an SEC homer-dominated show, we sure are talking a lot of non-SEC stuff tonight. I have to say it because no one else will. Um, thank you also. I see what you just did, Jesse. Thank you. Okay, Big Ten Media Days. I wanted to talk for a couple of minutes on this. Did you guys hear Ohio State this week? Did you hear Ryan Day? Did you hear this team talking? I, I don't know. Like, if you're a Buckeye fan, I can understand. I can, I can imagine how mad you were at the end of last year. But I can promise you, it does not equate to how these dudes feel. And I'm not talking about in the days or weeks afterward. They walked into Big Ten Media Days, and it felt like the Michigan game wrapped up about 45 minutes ago. And that's normally like Xbox mentality. Normally, it is really hard to bottle that kind of thing up and take it with you that long, but they have. Now, does that mean anything on the football field this fall? No, not necessarily, uh, but it also very well could. It's definitely how you want your team to feel. Ryan Day said, look, I mean, he gave a quote. He said, 11-2 in a Rose Bowl? That's not quite good enough at Ohio State. He said, we got three preseason goals, and they are beat Michigan. He said the team up north. They are to win the Big Ten, and they are to win the national championship. And as far as I'm concerned, we went 0-3 for 3 last year. And they did. You know, I was at the, I was at the Ohio State-Michigan State game last year, which is funny because that was a total splattering. That was as thorough a dominant performance as you will have seen up there last year. And then I was at the Ohio State-Michigan game, and we remember what happened there. They brought Jim Knowles in. We just talked about him with Oklahoma State. Jim Knowles was the former Cowboy defensive coordinator, and they hired him, and he is now the defensive coordinator at Ohio State. And it's important to note, you know, Ryan Day, when he brought him in there, I was listening to our buddy Zach Smith talk about this earlier today. He said, hey, they brought him in. They didn't say, here's your staff. They brought Jim Knowles in and said, go get your staff. And so he's pretty much, he being Ryan Day, he's pretty much said, here's what the expectation is going to be. I want you to have a top 10 defense. And you call the shots. I brought you in because I think you're the best. You go get your staff. You choose where you need to be on game day. You call the shots. But here's what I expect in return. And this is kind of what he echoed yesterday at Big Ten Media Day. He said, we got to have a Big Ten or we got to have a top 10 defense. That's what we have to have. Now, realistically, I think if they were the 19th or 22nd best defense in the country this year, they would be well on their way to playing for another national championship. But that should be the standard. Why shouldn't that be the standard up there? It's Ohio State. It's not Ohio. All due respect to the Bobcats. Okay, I'm sure Athens is a great place this time of year. But we're talking about, we're talking about a group of folks who think the Big Ten championship is their preseason birthright. Vegas agrees. And yet they are not carrying that thing around. Michigan is right now. I, I can only imagine how much that eats at them. So luckily, they got a crew back again this year. That's an interesting team to watch. Very interesting. And they don't start soft. They got Notre Dame in there, week one. Next up, I could not help but be reminded how, I con how consequential 
this Penn State-Purdue game is going to be in week one. It's a Thursday night game. So we got the backyard brawl. We got West Virginia and Pitt. We got Penn State and Purdue. And I think if you're, like, let's say you're a Mississippi State fan and you only really care about Mississippi State, it may be a little harder for me to sell you on those games, but most of you aren't just fans of your team. This is not Major League Baseball. Most of you, especially if you're watching this show, you got your team, but you also love the sport. And if you fit that category, it's not hard for me to sell you on this. But if you need me to, if you need the 15 or 20-second pay-per-view version, I want you to understand, in this rivalry, well, if you want to call it that, I mean, in this, Jesse, rivalry or no rivalry? Just matchup, right? Yeah, matchup. Matchup, okay. Well, in this matchup, uh, Purdue hadn't won it since 04, I think, and it's been nine straight that Penn State's won. But, plus side, Purdue's coming off the first nine-win season they've had since 03. We had to look up who the quarterback was back then. Anyway, that's not the pay-per-view sell. Here's the pay-per-view sell. Purdue's over-under win total is suspicious right now. It's floating 7-8, depending on where you look, but yet they won nine games last year, and virtually the entire team, well, at least on the surface, because Aiden O'Connell's back at quarterback, a lot of the team looks like it returns, and a lot of people think they have a smart money bet taking the win total over for Purdue. And if they win in week one, I don't know how you lose, because the rest of their schedule is so workable. And also, if Purdue were to win this game, do you understand what it feels like around Happy Valley? Do you understand what it feels like around Penn State? Because they will have already dropped a conference game. They'll be 0-1. Oh, and by the way, they will have a trip to Auburn in week three. And so you're looking at the real possibility of starting 1-2. and two, And I don't need to tell anyone how that would go over at Penn State. So I know a lot of folks are looking at that. And if that game were in week five, you'd be tempted to kind of look over it. Well, it's not. That thing's sitting right there in week one. And for a lot of this other stuff on Penn State schedule to matter, man, they really need that win. I wasn't supposed to go in this order, but I, you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. Here we go. Uh, the Big Ten West, speaking of Purdue and their standing over there. Wisconsin, according to the media, the overwhelming favorite to win that division. And I look at the Big Ten West, I don't see an overwhelming favorite to do anything. And so I just find it peculiar. I mean, if you made me tabulate, you know, my preseason, I'd, I guess I'd say Wisconsin slight, but I would follow it up with slight. I would say just that word. They, they got a new offensive coordinator there in Bobby Ingram, uh, and with good reason, because they ranked 120 nationally in passing offense last year. And there were a lot of folks, and you're looking at one of them right here on this screen, who were very hopeful that that number would be much higher. I, I have no idea how anyone's an overwhelming favorite. There are five teams you could sell me on to win this division this year. And Wisconsin's one of them. Iowa's one. Nebraska, uh, Minnesota, Purdue. Just mention them, especially if they win versus Penn State in week one. Uh, some other things that caught my ear yesterday. We had Pat Fitzgerald from Northwestern. We had Mel Tucker. These were among the several coaches who were asked about the future of the sport. Where do you think it's going? And they kind of echoed the sentiment I heard down at SEC Media Days a lot last week. And that was, we don't like that we don't know a bunch of stuff. We don't know how big our conference is going to be. We don't know what the rules are going to be. We don't, there's so much we don't know. And we just wish we had better guidance on it. That is a familiar theme. I'm telling you that is one of the top things being talked about behind the scenes. There is a, there's a very sizable event happening in Nashville next week where a lot of folks from the more football operations, recruiting operations, behind the scenes areas of college football will be in town. 
I'll be over there for that. It is the number one topic on everyone's mind, and that is mapping out the future of college football. Uh, more on that later, as much as I can tell you. But in the meantime, you got a lot of coaches out there, coaches who have been around the block, who kind of have to throw their hands up and say, I'm just going to worry about what I can control over here. And usually that, that's a lot more than what it feels like I can control right now. Also, the Michigan quarterback situation, I know some people want a, a definitive starter written in stone. That's not the way it's going to be there. It wasn't last year. It's not going to be this year. But Cade McNamara, you kind of get that he is the starter there. Jim Harbaugh keeps pointing out, I start guys based on how the drives they're on the field for end, which was kind of common sense, right? Well, McNamara's drives end in points over 50% of the time, or at least they did last year. And the other thing to keep in mind, and this is where it kind of gets interesting, they start with Colorado State, UConn, Hawaii, and Maryland. It's one of the softest opening months of any major team out there, which means they can afford to do whatever they want to at quarterback, and that means they're going to probably rotate a healthy amount. Here's what I always think about. What if, I wouldn't say this is a risk, it's just a what if. What if, for whatever reason, you got a couple of games there where McNamara just doesn't have it, just doesn't have his A game, doesn't have the game you know he's capable of playing and you've seen him play before, and McCarthy just lights it up. And you've told guys, hey, whoever plays best in these first few games now, that's how I'm going to determine the rest of the season. And then the guy you think is second best ends up outshining the guy that you really trust more. What do you do? What do you do? I've seen this happen a couple of times. What do you do? Um, but then again, the, the counter to that is, well, what better metric would you have than on-field competition? Fact of the matter is, if one guy's getting it done on the field on a Saturday in the fall, that's what it's all about, right? These are not tune-up games. They kind of are, but they all count. So keep an eye on that Michigan quarterback rotation, I guess I would call it. Okay, we need to have a conversation here for just a second. And I am uh, reminding you guys of some things in the live chat that uh, don't matter as much if you're listening to the podcast version, although I appreciate both immensely. What are your expectations for LSU this year? What are your expectations? If you're in Lincoln, Nebraska, if you're in Tempe, Arizona, you know who Brian Kelly is. You know LSU. You've got a feel on him. But definitely... If you're in New Iberia, you know, if you're in Alexandria, if you're down there in New Orleans or Baton Rouge, what do you expect? Wins and losses. What do you expect for LSU this year? I did not expect to be doing a segment on LSU tonight. Full disclosure, it was not in our, our midterm and short-term plans. But then the eye, Josh, rings the other day. And I'm outdoors getting some good old vitamin D and a close dear friend of the program and a very hardcore LSU fan is on the other end of the line. And I hear some distress in his voice. And he's saying, you know what I wanted this year? I wanted sort of a consequence-free year. I don't have high expectations. I wanted to just enjoy LSU football and Saturdays for what they are. And I wanted to get back to expectations next year. Because I know we got a lot to turn over. And we got a culture we got to reinvent. We got to go from doing it the O way to doing it the Brian Kelly way. And I'm on board with that. I just know it's not an overnight snap your fingers magic sort of fix. I said, do you need me for any of this? Like, what, you're asking me a question? What, what are you doing? He said, well, here's my fear. My fear is that the expectation level, the hype bubble, if you will, it's inflating a little bit too much. And all of a sudden, you know, I see us going eight and four, and I call that a great year. And I'm worried that there may be a little bit too big a chunk of our fan base that's going to turn eight and four into a disappointment. And I don't want that. Can you talk about it on the show? And I said, hey, look. 
Who would I be if not a person who anyone could pull a string from and get a segment put in late kick? So let's talk about this, shall we? I go over to my people over on go247.com today, because anytime I say I'm going to talk to my LSU folks, those are my LSU folks, and I said, what about this? I just put it on the message board and I just let it breathe, and I think it's like half a dozen pages into the thread now. I said, you give me either your expectations, wins and losses, or you just let me know what in terms of even intangibles, would be success this year. And I was pleasantly surprised. We did get a healthy amount of eight and four. Now the over-under in Vegas is seven, but most every fan base is going to have expectations a little bit higher than the Vegas over-under win total because they factor in things that you don't want to factor in. They factor in possibility of injury, possibility of all kinds of things going awry that you just, you refuse to acknowledge in the preseason. And that's okay. That's normal. And eight and four was pretty normal in that thread. But there were several nine and threes. There were plenty of 10 and twos, more than I could count on both hands. So they're out there. And then we had, we had some fringe plus 10 wins. And so I really want to talk for just a second now, you know I love you guys, with our LSU brethren that are in the then 10 win range and above. And maybe you nine winners need to pay close attention, but you 10 winners really you need to set down what you're doing, and you need to turn the volume up. Summer is a dangerous time of year. Lightning, flash floods, etc. But also, summer is a dangerous time of year because we have a combination of several things that have bitten many a college football fan before. You have the usual off-season amnesia, and that's just where we tend to forget the lessons this sport teaches us every year. Because we have preview magazine season where all those depth charts look bright and shiny and there is not a red Sharpie through any name. Everyone's healthy. Everyone's good to go. Everyone's added 7 to 10 pounds of muscle. And also, we have media days, don't we? Where all we do is talk. And magically, teams feel like they got better since spring and nothing's happened. No football has happened. Not a single pad has been put on. No popping since spring. Yet teams all of a sudden get better. Your expectation goes from maybe six wins to, we could win nine. What? What are you talking about? I just talked to you in April. Well, that is summer for you. It's a dangerous time of year around college football. So my word of caution and the word of caution from a friend of mine through me, I'm just the middleman here. You know, you wouldn't get mad at a guy for just delivering drugs from one person to another. So don't get mad at me for this. There are some things at LSU that are worth being excited about. This could be the best wide receiver stable. That was a very common refrain on the Go 24-7 message board today. I saw one of you say, hey, when is the last time the best wide receiver stable in this conference struggled to make a bowl game, struggled to win seven games? I got you. I get what you're saying. And there are three quarterbacks down there. And if any one of them pans out, then Brian Kelly could do some really good things. That defensive front is the envy of a lot of college football. Ditto for the linebacker core. Secondary, who knows? Who in the world knows? If a freshman left tackle works out, that offensive line could greatly exceed expectations. I know the talking points. I get it. I get it. I get it. Now, let me counter those. We're playing ping pong here for just a second. Do not overestimate how hard it is for a new staff to acclimate in the SEC. It's the hardest conference to acclimate yourself into, and it's not a head coach and a bunch of dudes who he just pooled from around the conference. You got quite a few of them who have not coached down here before. That's not long-term detriment, but it is short-term learning curve. Keep that in mind. The second thing is this secondary is indeed a myth. I know they went and got a lot of them because they feel like they can play in the SEC, but the bottom line is they didn't want to have to go get any of them. 
They had to do that out of necessity. You got some guys who can throw the ball down here. It's, a, it's actually a pretty deep year in the league at the quarterback position, so just keep that in mind. The third thing, for all the names at quarterback, there's a reason that there are three names and we don't have a clear one and then saying things like, boy, our second and third string looks really good too. The reason we don't have it figured out is because there's not a surefire number one there. We've seen Miles Brennan play before. We're confident that he can, that he can adequately serve as the starting QB there. Jaden Daniels, different skill set entirely. Uh, I would say the same thing. We're confident that he would not be a train wreck or anything like that. Nussmeyer, his best days are clearly ahead of him. I'm as high on him as anyone, outside of his parents probably. But we don't have a clear-cut, bona fide SEC starter there. We hope we do. That's what fall camp will find out for us. But we don't know that yet. So in your world, obviously, if you're an LSU fan, you figure out a path where at least one of them, if not more than one of them, works out for you. There is an alternate universe where we just have to deal with average quarterback play this year. It has happened before. Also, and this is the one I really want to focus on, which I hope we don't have to talk about, but I fear we probably will. You got to factor in the unseen. There's a lot of intangible, a lot of unquantifiable. And uh, if you were listening to Brian Kelly, if you've listened to him at all, he keeps using that word culture and he keeps talking about overturning it. I, we, we interviewed him. I was talking to him one on one last week and I said, you keep talking about overturning a culture. No one ever does that comfortably. No one ever goes from doing things the way Orgeron did them to doing things the way you do them with no hiccups. And he acknowledged, you're right. It's, it's comfortable now because we haven't played games yet. But when we play games, it'll be real. Now, here's the way this usually goes. For those of you who are suffering from amnesia, here's the way I expect the LSU season to go. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I think they'll start out pretty well. I would, at the moment, pick them to beat Florida State. Uh, that's not official. I just, at the moment, for, for the sake of argument, let's say they beat them. They, they start out 2-0, 3-0. Uh, there's the schedule right here, 4-0. Let's say they start out 4-0, and they're going into Auburn, and then that tougher stretch starts from there on. You don't find out at that point, really, where the warts are, because everyone's happy to buy in as long as you're winning. But there are losses somewhere along the way on this schedule. I'm not even going to pick out which ones they are. I'm saying when they start to happen, when the bounce of the ball doesn't go your way, when the turnover battles minus two against you and you lose as a four-point favorite one Saturday, then you get back in that locker room, then you get back on the bus, on the plane, you go home, guys have Sunday to text each other, and slowly but surely, the way that they used to do things is the way some guys will want to fall back. Those are the things some guys will want to fall back on. It is almost inevitable when you're trying to overturn a culture because there's some residue that's left over. Doesn't matter when you win, when you lose is when the stuff starts to bubble up. And if you lose a few more games, then you start to find out, it turns out there are some guys still here that really do not serve the long-term best interest of what we're trying to do as a program. Those guys won't be there next year, but the point is you inevitably still have some guys around there that are, are much more conditioned to doing things the old way, that probably aren't best cut out to do things the new way. You can't overturn it completely overnight. Uh, Brian Kelly knows that. I think we'll find that out this year. Now, that means they're not going 12-0. and 0. What we're talking about is, can they still go 9-3 and 3 with that? I don't know. They may be able to. What I'm saying is, and this is where my personal focus is with them, this year, since it's year one under that staff, is almost about 2023 to me more than it is 2022. LSU this year, I'm worried about filtration, and I'm worried about recruiting. 
And the bottom line is, there could be some issues behind the scenes. There could be. I'm speaking generically. This is not inside information. I don't know anything about any guy down there that's giving them trouble right now. I'm speaking from 50,000 feet. If losses start to happen, if there's some bumps in the road, it's still not the worst thing in the world. It is a natural filtration process. You are finding out who the best long-term solutions are in your locker room. And you're finding out the guys that you don't want to be in the foxhole with. And you're finding out things that may suck right now, but are greatly going to assist you in 2023 and beyond. That's the first part of it. That's why sometimes losses in year one aren't the worst thing in the world. That's what I'm saying. And also in the other compartment over there, every week, recruiting. Every single week, you're putting a product on the field that you're using to try and win a game, but also trying to sell a vision to a new crop of talent because those guys, absolutely, you do have your choice of. So you're bringing in 100% of guys, hopefully, that want to do things your way. That's what this year is about for me. So what my buddy was talking about and what I kind of echo in a general sense is there is a path where LSU goes seven and five this year and it's successful. Not because you love going to the Liberty Bowl in late December, but if you go seven and five and in the process weeded out some parts of your program that didn't need to be there that maybe, maybe wouldn't have weeded themselves out if you went nine and three, what sets you up better long term? I know no one wants to win seven games when they can win nine games. I'm saying if it does come to a seven and five season, this is the kind of situation where there could still be a lot of positives in that seven and five. Now, if Georgia goes seven and five this year, I'm not having this conversation with them. But if LSU or Florida goes seven and five this year, there is this path, just like Nick Saban. Nick Saban won seven games his first year and had to win a bowl game to get to seven. They found out some things about that program, and there were a lot of faces that weren't around the next year. And I think we all remember what happened the next year and then the 13 or 14 years after that. So. I, I took the call, I delivered the message, and I hope you heard every word. They're watching us in Seattle, Washington, Panama City. Told you they were tuned in down there. Smackover, Arkansas. Our friends in Smackover are tuned in. And Jacksonville, Alabama. That's kind of how you weed out a lot of the folks in the South. When you're playing Jacksonville State, how many folks say, boy, it must be nice for those kids to play in Jacksonville, Florida? Uh-uh. Those Gamecocks are not from Jacksonville, Florida. They're from Jacksonville, Alabama. How about some sleepers this year? We had a question about this earlier today, so let's take a look at the question. Football guy Andy hit us up and said, which teams are the biggest sleepers this year? I got three of them for you, but really I got one and then a couple that are a little bit further down the line. And by sleeper, I mean, I'm looking for teams that could finish a solid two or more wins above their preseason win total. Baylor is the first one and foremost for me. Baylor, their preseason over-under is eight wins. This is the team that won the Big 12 last year. To me, from this point moving forward, as long as Dave Aranda is my coach there, I am going to expect a product that will always exceed the sum of the parts because I respect the development. I certainly, I respect the way, I, I respect the philosophy more so than anything about the program, but the player development, very, very good. They put their guys in the right position. You rarely watch a Baylor game and say, oh, those guys weren't prepared today. Non-issue for them. Also, I believe the offense is in good hands. I think right now, if you have fear about this team, it's who do they have at wide receiver? Who do they have at running back? They lost a lot of those guys to the NFL. That's true. So here is my approach with Baylor this year. Blake Shapin at quarterback is, is a new starter, kind of, even though he started games for him last year. But he's a new starter, but he's the guy they chose. 
They chose him. He started the Big 12 title game for him and won it, and they battled it out in spring, and he beat out Bohannon. And so Dave Aranda, in a move that exhibits, I think, more voluntary character, I guess I would call it, than most other coaches have, he went to Gary Bohannon and said, this job is not yours right now. You got beat out in the spring. And he told him so early that it gave him time to transfer, and he did. 99% of coaches out there would never do that. They would maintain the battle into fall so they could have adequate depth. And Dave Aranda said, yeah, certainly I could have done that. I respect the kid too much. I mean, he, he's the reason we got to the Big 12 title game last year, but he was our second best quarterback. So I told him, and he transferred out. Blake Shapin's the guy. Point is, yeah, Shapin's a new starter, kind of, quote unquote, but he is the guy they chose. And I also think you cannot overstate what Jeff Grimes did for them last year, offensive coordinator, or even what Eric Mateos, their offensive line coach, meant for them last year. I trust the offensive product because I trust the offensive system out there right now. A lot of wide receivers whose names we don't know that I think will be adequate enough. Ditto at the running back position. But also what excites me most about them is they have their choice at quarterback and they could very well have the best O-line and D-line in the conference. When you can check those three boxes for me and you got one of the best head coaches in the conference, you will always be a contender. And so they're sitting at eight wins over under win total in the preseason. I think that game, October 1st, when they play Oklahoma State, that is a big one. I think that's Oklahoma State's, I don't know, this can't be their conference opener, but that is a big early season game because they get them in Waco. See, later, everyone's eyes go to at Oklahoma and at Texas. To make those games matter, in the grand scheme of things, that Oklahoma State game, and for that matter, the game at Iowa State the week before, those are huge early season tests for Baylor. I got confidence in Baylor. So they are very underrated for me. Also, I talked about Auburn the other night. Auburn is a team that I think fits in this conversation. Here's the formula. They're over, one, they're over under win total six, okay? What is the path for Auburn to be an overachiever? How do they get to seven or eight wins? Well, the first thing they do is they have to harness up everything that I feel about the program right now. Uh, there are a lot of folks down there that have Brian Harson's back. They saw what happened in February. A lot of the players, they talked to us about it last week. They took ownership. Uh, they, they met with the president of the university themselves, which I don't think was widely publicized because it rarely ever happens, but they did. Can you find a way organizationally to harness all that up? How do you harness emotion up long term, kind of like Ohio State's trying to do right now, and make it manifest itself on the field in the fall? It's tricky, but it's possible. That's the first thing. The second thing is they have to be what I call the SEC's Bob team this year. You know what I'm talking about. There's always a team. Bob is an acronym, stands for bounce of ball. I'm trying to make it work, kind of like fetch. I'm trying to make that be our version of fetch. And it hasn't happened yet, but I think it'll take off one day. They need to be the SEC's Bob team. They need to be that team. Every conference has one every year where you keep watching them and you keep saying, how do they keep winning games? The ball's just bouncing their way. It feels like they're plus turnovers every week. Ball bounces their way. They probably keep getting outgained. Box score tells one story. Scoreboard tells another story. Auburn has to be that team this year. Because they're not, they're not just, they're not outmanning people. They're not going up and down the field on people. But they're physical enough and they're talented enough to win games, especially if you hand them games. And the third thing is they got to defend home field. Look at this schedule. Mercer, San Jose State, Penn State, Missouri, and LSU. 
That's their first five, and they're all at home. If they do nothing more than take care of business at Jordan-Hare Stadium, especially later in the year, they got Arkansas in there. Uh, maybe they pull one against Texas A&M, or even if they don't, if they've done no more than just take care of business at home, they could set themselves up to overachieve. I know that's easier said than done. Penn State and LSU, weeks three and five, games they probably won't be favored in, but it'll be a very close point spread there. Home field, Jordan-Hare Stadium, been very outspoken about it lately, one of the best in the country. Uh, the other team I wanted to look at is all the way out on the West Coast. It's UCLA. That's the team that's in one of the sneakiest good positions to overachieve this year of any of them. Now, you're not going to sneak up on Vegas with UCLA. The over-under win total is already eight and a half. That's pretty high, when, especially when you consider what they have not done under Chip Kelly as of late. Uh, but the main reason I wanted to point them out is this is the opportune moment for them. They return good talent in DTR at quarterback. Charbonnet's back at running back. But also, it's just overall, it's the best collection of talent Chip Kelly's had so far. And think about the rest of the Pac-12. USC has churn. Everything's new there. Oregon has churn. Everything's new there. They get Utah at home, which, as I've said before, isn't such an intimidating home stadium. It means you don't have to go to Salt Lake City. That's the important part to uh, note there. So if not this year, then when? They've got the fourth best odds to win the Pac-12 championship this year due to the UCLA Bruins. They need a fast start, and they need this to be the year that Chip Kelly can point to and say, look, that year, that 2022 year, we finally made it. We kind of stay on this theme. We had one more question I wanted to get to. I appreciate you guys being tuned in. Uh, another quick reminder. I just put it in the chat. Late Kick Store is open right now. I can't promise anything after this because I'm going to publicize it the moment we go off air. But right now, you guys are the only ones who know. Do me a quick favor if you're watching live. I, we have several of you in here. We've got about 1,600 watching live. We have 330 likes on this video, which I would call unacceptable. And if I don't say it, Jesse or Colin will. So do me a favor, thumbs up right there. Just click the like button and that's it. We move on. We had a question earlier today from Princess Marley Riley. Princess Marley Riley asks, which team has the toughest schedule in the country this year? Never being one to narrow anything down. I got four I wanted to run by you right quick. Now, what I could do is just pick a bunch of SEC teams because all of those schedules are hard. I took two from the SEC, and I took one from the ACC, one from the Big Ten. Arkansas has the toughest schedule in the country to me this year. Uh, here's the very, very long and short of it. They play in the SEC West, and they play Cincinnati, and they go to Brigham Young. I don't really think I need to say much more because you know what playing in the SEC West consists of. Oh, and by the way, one of their cupcake games, I use that term very loosely, is against Hugh Freeze and Liberty. The only true layup game here is Missouri State. And here's a fun little fact about that Missouri State game. Those of you in Arkansas already know this. For those of you outside of Fayetteville, paper pop time. Do you know who the head coach at Missouri State is right now? That would be one William Petrino, or as you might know him, Bobby. Does he have a history with Arkansas? I struggle to remember that sometimes. Next up, the Auburn Tigers. Just talked about the Tigers like five minutes ago. Here's the long and short of it for the Auburn schedule. At Georgia and at Alabama. Does anyone else have to do that? I don't think so. And they got to do it every year. Now, in the even number years, that's the years that Auburn has to go on the road. They got to go to Athens and to Tuscaloosa. If that wasn't enough, you also have the SEC West. And if that wasn't enough, Auburn saw fit to schedule Penn State. So 
I know someone inevitably will say, yeah, but they play Mercer. Yeah, I know. But they also play those other nine teams that I talked about. So consider this stretch. Here's a little exercise I like to do sometimes. I'm not even going to pick out Georgia. I'm not going to pick Bama. Let's just ignore them for a second. I want you to look at uh, that 10-29 through 11-12 stretch. Auburn plays Arkansas at Mississippi State and Texas A&M. None of those teams are among the top two on their schedule. Arkansas at Mississippi State and Texas A&M. That little stretch there would be the hardest three-game stretch for most every team in the ACC or the Big 12 or the Pac-12. And that's just a garden variety little three-game sliver, little three-game sample size there, not even taking the two hardest teams they have to play. That's life if you're the Auburn head coach. It's like that every single year. Hey, Georgia Tech has a ridiculous schedule this year. Jeff Collins is a name that's on pretty much everyone's hot seat list. Uh, Here's the good or bad news, I guess, depending on your perspective. You will not have to wait to find out. This will not be a mystery team. Georgia Tech starts the season, and they will have played, by the time the sun sets on October 1st, they will have played Clemson, Ole Miss, at Central Florida, at Pitt. I don't think I need to tell you they won't be favored in any of those games. Also, they get Georgia on the road at the end of the season for good measure. Oh, and by the way, they also go to Florida State. They go to Virginia Tech. They got to play Miami. They go to North Carolina. So, yeah, I, I tried. I really did. But I cannot find a viable path for Georgia Tech making much noise this year. I can't. And you know me. You know I want to. I can't. It's hard for me. Uh, last team that I wanted to point out here is in the Big Ten. Indiana got a really, really tough stretch this year. They go to Nebraska. They got Michigan. They got Penn State at Ohio State at Michigan State. They added a trip to Cincinnati for good measure here. I did want to draw your attention right quick to the last game on this schedule. Do any of you care about it? Maybe not. But I want you to think about the theme that I've woven throughout the show about the status of the Big Ten West. Indiana hosts Purdue the last game of the year. That is the, I guess, the Friday or Saturday after Thanksgiving. That's the 26th of November. I know it may not exactly sound off alarms in your head when you look at that game. You know, that could be a very consequential game. That could be Purdue playing for a trip to Indianapolis, for all we know, in the Big Ten Championship game. So Indiana could have one of those seasons where they're struggling to make a bowl game, but they may have that little, that little Super Bowl, that little carrot on the end of the string there. We may not be able to do anything consequential, but we can wreck someone else's season. So let's work towards that. Just a little something to keep in mind. I appreciate you guys being tuned in. Uh, We could have moved some of these topics to Sunday night. We went over an hour tonight, but we don't really do that. We just empty the barrel every show, and then we take a few days, and hopefully it'll fill up again. And as you've seen, it always does for us. Thank you guys so much for making this possible. Uh, We are at the beginning of August, going to three nights a week. I don't think I've told you that yet. We are going to three nights a week, Sunday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night, not next week, but the week after that. So when August starts, when everyone's in camp, that's when we'll be going to three nights a week. I'm getting pretty close to being able to tell you where the Every Given Saturday tour is going week one. We are looking very, very much forward to that. Got a lot of excitement in store this year. And uh, speaking of store, Late Kick Store, open right now. Here you go, here's the link one more time. I'm about to tweet this out, so the rest of the world, those who were irresponsible and not in the live show tonight, 
they will know. And at that point, as you've seen, anything can happen. I've got some products that are not in there yet, that when they are in there, may end up being your favorites. So just, just stay tuned. It's been, a, it's been a huge success for us. Thank you, stay tuned. For Producer Jesse, for Director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Have yourselves a great rest of your night and start to your weekend. We'll see you back here same time Sunday night. Until then, God bless. of sports mixed with your pop culture along with humor and celebrity interviews your earbuds are enjoying the rich eisen show dan orlovsky are you still a Jaden daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy i think the three things that make it stand out for me are number one i think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft every quarterback in the nfl is accurate he's got the best on tape number two most transferable stuff to the nfl and then i think the third thing is pocket peace search for the rich eisen show on youtube or wherever you listen